You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Junkyard Dogcast, everybody. I'm Jake Rowe, Dogs 24-7. With me, Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell of Dogs 24-7. Full show, man. We're going to talk about the quarterback battle and other position battles. Uh, I'm sorry if you're worn out with the quarterback battle stuff, but just a lot of interesting information kind of coming out about this whole thing, and I think some stuff to glean from it. Uh, We're going to get to other position battles on offense. We're going to talk a little bit about the defense and kind of where things are at there. And in the second half of the show, it's mailbag time. We've got several questions. We're going to get to all of them, and there were some really good questions this week. want to give a shout-out, and then at the end of the show – a little Big Ten talk. Looks like the Big Ten is back in. Not not looks like. They're in. Nine-game season. Really interesting format there. And and uh, really glad they're playing. I'm not going to throw a bunch of darts at the, uh, at the leadership of the Big Ten, although there is a way this thing can really blow up in their face. But uh, we're, we're going to talk about that uh, before we close up. But, guys, let's jump feet first into this quarterback battle. And uh, – so, so let, me, let me lay it out there before we talk about it so we don't really have to, you know, kind of uh, piece together what's going on here. Uh, last week, JT Daniels and, uh, and Dewan Mathis, this is the first full week after, after the second scrimmage, the first full week after Jamie Newman opts out. JT Daniels, Dewan Mathis pretty much split reps 50-50. Saturday's third and final scrimmage comes. Dewan Mathis gets – almost all of the first-team reps. He gets all of the first-team reps in the real true scrimmage portion of it, which was two uh, 15-minute quarters. And then JT Daniels comes in second half of that and gets some situational work with the number one offense. And then uh, this week gets kicked off. And yesterday, Pitt Persons with knowledge of the situation tell us that uh, Dwan Mathis got all the first-team reps, if not almost all, if not all, and then JT Daniels barely got any reps at all, first team, second team, or anything. Now, Rusty, I've got my opinion on kind of where that goes, and Kirby Smart talked about a rotation. I think Kirby's kind of playing some games here, being a, being a gamesman like he, like he can be. Uh, what does that say to you right there in terms of that rep split and kind of how it's trended over the past, what, nine days? First of all, I want to pat myself on the back because I predicted last week he was going to be the starter and he didn't leave three hours later. So I got a victory there as opposed to two weeks ago when I predicted Jamie Newman to start. And four hours later, Jake was breaking the big story of Jamie Newman leaving. So shameless plug there. I think it's formality. I think it's it's right now it's Dewan Mathis. They're preparing Dewan Mathis to play against Arkansas. Uh, we kind of depend on putting pieces to the puzzle together. Jake, I think you and I both would agree that right now it's kind of a race where JT Daniels can't get into fifth gear because he is still trying to get medically cleared. And when you do that, I think you look at the time frame and you're, you know, you're 10 days away from playing Arkansas. You're 17 days away from playing Auburn in a massive game. So as a staff with continuity, new offense, new offensive coordinator, you know, new tackles, uh, new running backs, basically starting. You got to get together and get some reps going and get some rhythm going, start calling plays for the guy that you are preparing for for week one and week two. And I certainly think before we look back at this season, I think JT Daniel, JT Daniels is going to get his shot in some games and some real time uh, when he's all said and done, when he's healthy. But I think right now, Jake, the writing's on the wall. It's just a formality, and you're correct with Kirby Smart. Sam Pittman knows Kirby Smart as good as anybody in the country. He knows what's going on, but uh, it's a formality, and I would be surprised if Dewan Mathis is not the guy against Arkansas, and they're already preparing him uh, with the first team, and he's getting all the reps, seems like, and it's just you got to get the rhythm going, and you got to get everybody in sync together, and it takes time, and they're doing that right now. Putting two and two together here with, okay, 
JT Daniels is getting all those reps last week, 50% of the first-team reps, looking like a true quarterback battle to his reps kind of trending down here recently. Not only does it say to me, and I think you kind of had a good way of putting it there, that it's tough for him to get into that fifth gear without being cleared, even mentally for him. Uh, you know, you got to seriously play some mind games with yourself to be able to say, all right, I'm, you know, I'm going to practice as if I'm playing in the first game when you may not be playing in the first game because you're not medically cleared yet. I'm also getting the impression they don't necessarily feel as confident as maybe they once did that he will be cleared for the first game. Now, everything we had heard was that JT Daniels was was expected to be cleared for the first game. There was a good shot of that. And, and I think last night, and I don't remember, Kip, if Greg Biggins told us this or not, but because he's been he, he's very tied into to JT Daniels recruitment and 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 to his circle there. Um, Kirby says last night that he had a second procedure either in December or January, and that's kind of been what's put him behind schedule. That makes this whole thing make a lot more sense about him not being cleared. Not, I don't necessarily remember hearing that. So uh, before y- yesterday. Uh, so, to me, I just don't know that he will be cleared in time. That's the impression I'm getting because I feel like if they were still confident in it, he would at least be taking number two reps if they, were, if they felt like he was going to be the, the next guy up. And I still think he travels because I still think he, Kirby Smart, at the very worst, is going to want the illusion that JT Daniels could start, could play in the game. Um, but but I, I, I don't know that the confidence level that he's going to be cleared for the first game is still there. It, I, I don't know if you get that same read or not, Kip. That, that's exactly the turn that I think this is taking. And you're right. I had not heard about that, that second procedure in, in January until Kirby's comments last night. And so that really kind of just, you know, it, it gives us more insight in, into just kind of their line of thinking, you know, the, the reps – with Dwan Mathis getting more reps, that's not we're not taking anything away from what Dwan Mathis has done. I mean, he again had came on in camp, has performed very well. I mean, he's given himself the right to be in this quarterback competition based on his own merits. But, you know, just the there's just a different line of thinking based on Kirby's comments. I mean, before it that was that was you know, all he talked about is we're, we expect him to be cleared, and he still kind of says we're he's practicing like we expect him to be cleared. But I mean, now we're now we're you know we're in the last two weeks before Georgia starts the season. It's kind of in that time to where you gotta you gotta know you have somebody who can who can lead the offense. And so if he's not cleared as of you know today Wednesday as we record the podcast. You can't go – I mean, he, he calls it a game-time decision. You can't prepare the offense with JT Daniels getting all the reps and then have him not be able, to, you know, to be to be cleared to start. That really puts Dwan Mathis behind the eight ball. It doesn't give him, you know, a, a fair shake, a, a fair look at, you know, what he can do. And, and right now when you have Todd Monk and you have a new offensive line, you have new playmakers, the most important thing right now in fall camp is clearly reps. Dwyane Mathis needs to get as many reps as possible if he's going to be the starter against Arkansas. And, and so I think it makes sense that he's been getting the most reps in practice because you know that if he had to play Arkansas on Thursday, he got Dwyane Mathis cleared and ready to go. You have There's a certainty there at quarterback. And still, with JT Daniels, there is that uncertainty with his knee and when exactly he will be cleared. So that, that kind of... That's kind of the biggest question right now is when he'll be cleared and if he's cleared before the you know before Arkansas is that still a quarterback competition or is Kirby Smart kind of made the decision that you know for the most part potentially hit pause on that and just make sure we have somebody at quarterback who can go out there against Arkansas and also give himself an audition for for the long-term starting position for the whole season. And so I I think it's just what we're seeing is maybe the you know, the competition is going to extend maybe a little bit further than we thought, maybe for most of the season. We said we thought two quarterbacks were going to play regardless for Georgia this season and that this was something that was probably going to carry over in the season. You know, that we said that before, you know, Jamie Newman left. We said that when we thought that JT Daniels was going to be cleared, that this was going to be a situation where, where both quarterbacks play 
And I think now, I mean, it's just more of a certainty that Dwyane Mathis is going to get a lot of reps early and often and going to give himself an opportunity to uh, to earn that starting quarterback job. It's going to be upon him to take good care of the football, make good decisions. But I think that regardless of, of that, it's just we have more uncertainty with JT Daniels than we did a month ago. And I think Kirby's comments last night kind of, you know, gave us a little more insight into why exactly that might be. Yeah, and and here's something I want to lay out there too. And if Rusty's moved his hand from patting himself on the back earlier, I'm going to pat him on the back again because he was the guy that early on in camp said this is a three-man battle and included Dewan Mathis in there. Now, in that first scrimmage, Dewan didn't get a ton of first-team reps. There's only so many to go around. We don't know what it will look like in the second scrimmage if Newman wouldn't have opted out. But Dewan Mathis did some things early on in camp when, it, when Georgia was at full pool for the quarterback position uh, th- to impress coaches. Now, since that time, I've talked to a couple of really well-connected folks who will flat-out tell you that when you look at every player that's come through Georgia's program since Kirby Smart's been there, and you look at raw talent and just football playmaking instincts, Dwan Mathis is up there, okay? So I don't want this to, to, to even have the appearance that we're saying, well, Dwan Mathis is winning the job because JT Daniels isn't fully cleared. It's not what I'm saying, not what Rusty's saying, not what Kip's saying. We're saying that Dewan Mathis is a fantastic football player. I think they love his upside. They love his ceiling. They love what he can do. And, and he has seized that opportunity from Jamie Newman exiting and those, that increase in reps that kind of came his way. And, uh, and, and, and he's got a chance to do some special stuff. And, and if, and if Dewan Mathis goes out there and does like Kirby Smart is going to want him to do, which is play-by-play, day-by-day, get better, then, then he may be tough to run down for this quarterback job. And JT Daniels has the exact same directive, which is – and Carson Beck does, Stetson Bennett does, every player on the team does. But if these, these guys focus on it, they're going to make each other better, and they're going to get better as time goes on. And, and that's all you can really ask for from the quarterback position. And, and I would like to point out this, too. Early on when Rusty reported that, I was told that, that was, those were some flashes, that he was doing some good things. Those good things have increased and increased and become more consistent as time has gone on in preseason camp. And I think that's why when that has maybe contributed to giving Kirby Smart the luxury of being like, hey, listen, JT's not fully cleared. We feel really good about Dwan at this point. So let's go ahead and give him all the first team reps. And then when JT's cleared, we'll burn that bridge when we get there to borrow a, a, a line from a Brooks and Dunn song. But I think it's cross that bridge when you get there to be the be, – technically correct there but they'll cross that bridge when when JT Daniels is cleared but for now I think they feel good about Dewan Mathis plenty good enough about Dewan Mathis they're like hey sure it's your football team right now at least in practice for now and uh, we're gonna go out there and give you the opportunity to get better and that, that seems to be an opportunity that he's seizing all right let's talk about right tackle and uh Rusty when when Owen Condon got those first team reps in the first scrimmage my first thought, I don't know if you had the same first thought, was, hey, I wonder if he can hold on because Warren McClendon's talented, Broderick Jones, Xavier Trust, Tate Ratledge. There was going to be plenty of heat on him. He's got several car links on the next guy at this point, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's his job. I mean, Owen Condon, you know, we've been so focused on the quarterback position and different things that have come and gone over, you know, the past month with that position. And obviously it is what it is, but – you know, when you look at the offseason, the big question was we all assumed and we assumed correct that Jamari Salyer was going to slide over the left tackle, and he has done that. But the right tackle position was wide open. There was a lot of talk, you know, you know Broderick Jones or, uh, you know, could Tate Ratledge do it? Or Warren McClendon seemed to be the guy that on paper probably had a little bit of lead. Rusty Mansell didn't ever touch Owen Condon in, in, in any of his stories and say, this is a guy to watch. Jake, I don't think, you know, we really mentioned him too much. And it was pretty clear as the camp opened in August that Owen Condon was running reps, and we haven't heard anything to say that he's not the guy. I mean, he took that job, and he's had to play well uh, for Matt Luke to get that and keep it the way he has. And, you know, here's a young man that, 
you know, sometimes we, you forget about them because you got so many different, you know, higher profile type players. And again, I go back to Solomon Kenley. I remember our board when Solomon Kenley was playing started, there were people, what are we doing? I mean, it's just a three-star kid, but look what Solomon Kenley turned into. And now he's a first year starter in NFL as a rookie, uh, fourth round draft pick. So, you know, I think Owen Condon has seized his moment. And right now it is clearly, and I mean, clearly his job. Yeah, and, and if not for a quarterback battle, and, and if not for a quarterback battle between a transfer and a guy that had brain surgery last year, it would be probably the best story of this camp for Georgia this preseason is the fact that Owen Condon beat up for two years, three-star prospect. Oklahoma City is where he's from uh, and and just wasn't really on anybody's right. I whiffed, man. I complete. I didn't – and, and I don't think anybody could have saw it coming either. You don't spend enough time over there, Jake. That, because y'all don't get to, but you just say if you got to see some June workouts and you got to see the body change in him, you would have said, wait a minute now, this this guy may not start, but let's not ride him off. But, but nobody whiffed on that. It was just we haven't seen Owen Condon to know that the kids put on 40 pounds of muscle and are good weight, and he's 6'7". So, you know, it's not really a whiff, but – it's one of those deals where you, you know, we're not over there enough. Nobody gets to see that kind of stuff, and and he's definitely seized the moment. I'll tell you this, just thinking about this this morning, Georgia's got two guys right now. I think everybody would say JT Daniel and Dewan Mathis are going into the season with. They got a guy that's nine months off knee surgery, and they got a guy that's sixteen months off brain surgery. So that you know, there's it's crazy what's going on. We wish both of them well and getting healthy and all that, but. When you kind of look at that and what George has been through the last four or five years with quarterbacks and transfers and this guy and this guy, man, that quarterback room at George has always got something going on. seems interesting. Yeah, and it has definitely taken some of the, the attention away from, from Condon. And I'll say this, when, he, when, when they send him up early to talk to us early on in preseason camp, that's always an indication. That is always an indication of a guy – at the very least, having a solidified role. Because they'll send Stetson Bennett up to talk to us, too. But he was solidified as the number two quarterback last year and, and a mature kid and things like that. But Connie came up and talked to us and I was uh, to, to do the Zoom call. And I was like, what? I mean, man, this is and, – and also, he hadn't been healthy either. I mean, he had an ACL in high school. He had various different things that went on as a, as a freshman. He had a foot issue. Uh, and then, you know, as a redshirt freshman last year, I mean, he, he told us that he tore his labrum. I think it was in October or November and, uh, and, and missed some significant time with that. And then, you know, he dropped some body, body fat percentage. He, he was a very big time self-starter on this quarantine, unlike myself, uh, who, who, who probably put on the quarantine 15 right to start with. Um, you know, so he, he did a really good job with that and, and kind of jumped in it. Uh, Kip, going to go to you on this one, start talking about some wide receivers. It, this is not necessarily a spot, I would say, but you're kind of looking for that number two to George Pickens. And it looks like, you know, Trey – I'm sorry, I, I've almost said uh, Trey Burton. I'm going to – I'm going to end – that's going to end up being my undoing. Uh, Jermaine Burton uh, has made a move. Matt Landers has had a good camp and has really come on after, you know, kind of falling off a little bit last week, got off to a good start this week. And then you've got uh, Kiaris Jackson is another guy who's really ma made some noise. Uh, kind of what, do how do you see this wide receiver situation, and do you think there's anybody else to maybe keep an eye on as uh, as time wears on? I mean, I, I think it's it, it's going to be a lot of guys rotating in. Obviously, you lose a guy like Dominic Blaylock, it's a big hit to to this offense and what they were you know hoping he can do in, in year two. I I, I think. You know, you look at you look at what Kiaris Jackson can do. Whether you know whether that's in the slot, whether he's he's getting some reps, you know, in at flanker as well. I think he's a guy that you know he's going to be a major factor. I, I think based on what we've seen from the you know what we've heard from the scrimmages and practice, I, I think that Kiaris has a chance if he can stay healthy. You know, the the to have a big you know third season at Georgia. Demetrius Robinson's going to rotate in there uh, a lot as well with Kiaris at the slot. But, I mean, Jermaine Burton, if if he can really, you know, kind of overcome what will be the that freshman wall, 
I think he's got a chance to to make a big impact at, at both positions and really steal a lot of reps for some older guys. I think that you know he's a guy that has the talent to to make big plays, and it's it's a it's really on him to just put himself in the best position and and to stay in Todd Monken's good graces by by doing what he needs to be doing in between having his number called downfield. And, and, and that's, I mean, that's assignment football. That's something that Kirby Smart has always put a huge emphasis on. And it's, it's really going to dictate just how many, how many snaps Jermaine Burton gets this year. Uh, and I think that while he continues to be a very popular discussion point on the message board, I mean, I think it, you have to look at Matt Landers and know that he has a lot to prove based on his time to date at Georgia, but also know that he has an opportunity to, to really have a breakout season. And I think, you know, we, we continue to talk about Lawrence Cager and, and him coming over from Miami as a transfer and having kind of that, that label put on him that, that he drops a lot of balls, that he's inconsistent with his hands and, and then to see when healthy, what he was able to do at, at Georgia shows you that the light can come on at any point. And for Matt Landers, you know, if, if he continues to practice the way he's he has been practicing this fall, I think that he's going to get another opportunity to to make a name for himself in games. And I think he, he again he showed in that Sugar Bowl game against Baylor that he can make the big plays. You know, he he has the talent to to make an impact offensively and so I, I think that again didn't have the best week last week from everything we've heard but I mean still that's that's normal that's to be expected we have to really point out still that the kind of guys that he's going up against in practice could be the best guys he goes up against all season uh, with Georgia's defense so I, I think Matt Landers still has an opportunity to be, if not the number two pass catcher for Georgia, potentially the number three, a guy that can go out there and catch you 25 balls and, and maybe have, you know, 400 yards receiving four or five touchdown catches. And I think, I mean, I think that would be huge for Georgia's offense, but also just for Matt Lander's confidence, you know, coming into 2021. It could really, you know, push him to be a potential number two receiver for Georgia next season if he has a strong showing this year. Absolutely, and and I'm I'm big proponent of of not giving up on guys, especially for drop balls and and, and things that that Matt Landers has dealt with. Uh, you know, it seemed to lack a little confidence last year at times. Uh, but listen, I watched Muhammad Massaqua basically get booed off the field as a sophomore, and then come back and have two spectacular seasons to end his career so it's it's not like it's out of the question and and you brought up the Lawrence Cager example another guy I would throw in there is uh is a guy that if if you if you're not on our website and 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 you haven't really looked at George's roster on the official website you might not know the name change here but Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint uh he he Marcus Rosemey signed he signed with George's Marcus Rosemey he added the hyphen to his name and and the last name Jack Saint uh later uh, he's another guy I've heard some good things about as, as far as coming on later on. I think that when Georgia, when George Pickens has to come out of the game, I think Georgia may turn to him as the guy as as that split end, you know, in, in some situations because he kind of has that that same skill set. And I, I'll say this about the the receiver situation, Rusty, and I kind of want to get your opinion on it as well. One of the reasons I like Jermaine Burton and I like Kiaris Jackson as bigger elements in this offense is I think that last year a big part that was missing to Georgia's offense, and they had it the year before Miko Hardman, they had it the year before that in Miko Hardman, and then they had it in also even in 2016 with Isaiah McKenzie, is that run-after-catch ability. Because last year, if they weren't throwing the football with some space to run, they usually didn't pick up much after the catch. Dominic Blaylock did some. But, but there wasn't that make the first guy miss, break a tackle, rip off a long play. And uh, I think that Kiaris Jackson and Jermaine Burton kind of bring that uh, to the table. I think that – yeah, I agree with all that, Jake. Very good point. I think that the uh, Georgia wide receiver core as a whole, and even minus Dominic Blaylock, who I think is you know, a big contributor, will be a big contributor when he gets back, I think when you look one to seven 
when you add Marcus Rosamy and I'll keep him that until I get his full name right. And um, Jermaine Burton, that mix right now, they're a better squad than they were last year. They're deeper there. And don't forget, now, you know, I reported on Monday that I don't think it's going to be like two weeks, but I do think Arian Smith's going to be back before this season's over. You're talking about a 10, 300 meter guy that you're going to add into the mix. So, they're going to get some speed. They're going to get some guys that can make you miss in small area. They're going to get some suddenness out of those guys. And, you know, everybody's trying to get – everybody's getting a little glimpse of Jermaine Burton. But the biggest thing I know about Jermaine Burton, I've seen him since his Hateville Charter freshman days. I saw him when he practiced that spring at Marietta before he went to IMG. And then he went to California. Uh, this kid can run. I mean, he's got incredible ball skills, but Jermaine Burton can flat out run. Great route runner. Worked a lot this offseason with Terrence Edwards in the Atlanta area. And so I'm just telling you, the wide receiver room has got guys that can make you miss. And I think, Jake, you hit, hit the nail on the head there. They're more athletic. I think that's the best way. They're more athletic in this room. And, oh, by the way, George Pickens is still George Pickens. It's almost like you don't even really talk about George Pickens now because you just assume where he's at. Yep. And and uh, and he's the go-to guy. Um, I, I I think they're definitely more dynamic. Um, you know, I think they had some pretty good athletes out there last year, but I, I think the, the the athleticism is just different now. There's more there's more twitch. There's more speed. Uh, you know, there, there's there's I just think there's going to be more catch and run in this offense than than maybe uh, was there last year. And and that's something that was sorely missed without Miko Hardman. I mean, because, you know, you had Miko who could catch a pass with a little bit of space and then catch a guy slipping on an angle. And then there, I mean, you're looking at the back of his jersey instead of the front of it or side of it all of a sudden. So he brought that to the table. Uh, Let's mow through this defense real quick. And what I'm going to do here, uh, maybe a little bit of an audible on the fly. Um, There are really no big position battles on defense because if you're in a battle for a starting spot, you're still going to play a ton on this defense. So, uh, real quick, uh, starting with you, Kip, what's one, what, where is one area where you're kind of maybe looking to see how the rotation shakes out or, or maybe who can enter the mix as far as getting some more playing time? I, I don't know if there's going to be a real issue as far as getting them playing time, but I am interested to see how – Tyreek Stevenson is utilized, you know, whether he's in the star, whether he's in the money and how much time he actually logs at, I guess, a true, uh, strong or free safety position. I just think it's really intriguing. Obviously, Mark Webb coming, you know, his senior season, they, they really trust him a lot as far as playing that star position. They know they have in him, but Tyreek's is just a guy that, seems to be just immensely talented and it's just tough to keep him off the field. So, you know, I'm just interested in seeing, you know, how, how they utilize him. I mean, with Devon Wilson transferring, Kelly Ringo being injured, you don't have, you know, I, I, I don't want to say you don't have a ton of depth, but there is some competition loss there. You still have William Poole uh, at the, you know, at the star position, but, we, we don't know for sure how exactly the reps have been divvied up right now. And so I, I, just, I just think it's going to be intriguing what formations Kirby Smart and, and Dan Lenning on this defense, what they, what they put out there, and, and just where, where all they, they line up Tyreek Stevenson because he just seems like a guy that is going to be getting a ton of reps this season but is going to be moved all over the field based on the formations, based on what they see from the opposing offenses and he could be just kind of that Swiss Army knife for Georgia's defense this season. Yeah, and and based on what he did last year, he he's just so dynamic. He can cover, he can blitz, uh, he he can kind of play the run. I mean, he's 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 got a that's a big body out there at that star nickel position or the, or or the dime. And Kirby said yesterday that he's played both of those you know money and and uh, and and star positions. He's repped some at safety, he's repped some at corner. He, he's definitely a versatile piece for him. Rusty, where are you going with this? What what rotation or what kind of uh, uh, or well, what player are you looking at who can kind of break through and and maybe see a bigger role this year in, on this defense? I want to see who they play behind Jordan Davis. You know, at nose guard, is it going to be Devontae White? Is it going to be Jalen Carter? Is it going to be Julian Rochester? You know. Who comes in there? You know, you got Malik Heron and Trayvon Walker. 
those guys all all in the mix there. So, you know, you that's I don't think there's like questions, but we all would agree that when Jordan Davis is in the game and he's not not really a three down guy because he's even though he's lost some weight, you kind of get those guys out. Uh, I, I know he's going to play some three downs at times for sure because he can definitely rush the passer. Uh, and as a nose guard, and he demands a double team. He's so, you know, he's invaluable to Georgia. I think Monty Rice and and Kobe Dean would probably tell you that that playing behind that guy is the best thing that's happened to them. My question is, when he's out of the game, you know, who's in there? Who, how are they going to line that up and, and, and how they're going to do things there? So it's not really a concern, I would think, because they got some depth. But you figure Jordan Davis is going to play – 70% or 75% of the snaps, who's going to play that 25% of snaps? A nose guard who's going to try to eat that space up and give you a little bit of, of a pass rush, you know, out of that position. So that'll be interested. I think Jalen Carter is going to be a guy that's probably going to get some snaps there too as well. Uh, very, very athletic guy that we've talked about a lot. And, uh, you know, at times last year, they, they kind of mixed Trayvon Walker inside to, to do that too. So, Who's going to play that zero? Who's going to play that nose? And 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 how are they going to do things like that? Yeah, and and it, it all depends on the situation because when Jordan Davis comes out for sub package or whatever, there's no telling who they'll put down there. They'll they'll put a defensive end over the nose on third down or or somebody else or a defensive tackle. Devontae Wyatt's done it. They used Mikael Carter last year to do it. Uh, you know, I think Julian Rochester, if you're talking about rundowns, you're talking about true base defense. Julian Rochester has the most experience doing it. Um, he was doing it in 2018 before him and him and Michael Barnett were before Jordan Davis came on, and and I think you'll see probably Julian Rochester get a lot of reps there as well. I'm I'm looking right behind him at at inside linebacker, and obviously I think I think Monty Rice and and uh, and Nicobe uh, Dean are your top two there. I don't think they're just going to roll with those two. I think Quay Walker is definitely in the mix there, and and he got a lot of the first team reps on Saturday because Monty Rice was not present. It was an off-field issue, n- n- nothing to be concerned about. He, I, I want to say he had like a family issue that he had to tend to. He was back at practice yesterday. Uh, as far as I know, uh, I'm pretty sure I saw a photo of him and Glenn Schumann actually from yesterday's practice. So he was definitely there. Uh, but, but you know, you got those two and then you got Quay Walker. Can, can Channing Tindall get into the mix? Because Channing Tindall is a guy that when they have just kind of wound him up and turned him loose – blitzes third down stuff like that he's he's made an impact on the game and he's definitely an explosive uh heavy hitting type player that that can make plays for you has he has he really absorbed the defense to a point where he can play fast it, Tresman Marshall is a guy that I've heard some good things about over the past year or so and I, I wonder if he's a guy that may be able to find himself onto the field Ryan Davis hasn't been able to stay healthy uh, I know he began the spring um, uh, you kind of not out there. I don't think he was out there for the for the first preseason scrimmage, and that's that's kind of a shame because he's such a gifted guy and, and a guy that can make plays. Uh, you know, and then you got Nate McBride there as well, which you know you want to talk about light turning on for people. If the light turns on for Nate McBride, the sky's the limit because uh, you know, there, there's not a better, you know, faster football player pound for pound hardly on this football team he's a really good athlete there's a reason he's been involved in so much special teams but I feel like there are definitely two um maybe definitely three as well if you count Quay Walker but can Channing Tindall enter that mix and be that fourth linebacker because they used four or five last year when when Tindall and and N'Kobe Dean were both healthy because Quay Walker was in there Tay Crowder was in there Monty Rice was in there and uh, th- that helps that unit stay fresh, and they find different roles for each of them. They play different ones against different packages, and, and they have these things they like to kind of – I don't want to say games they like to play, but they just have certain strategies that they want to kind of employ with, with those different guys in the game. Uh, so I'm interested to see if, if, that's, if that's where Channing Tindall ends up coming into play because, I mean, he, listen, he was a highly touted recruit coming out of high school, and, and I think expectations were super high, and you talk, you know – raw skills and, and and just raw ability he, he's up there too I mean he's up there with with just about all of them in terms of what he can do but but will he break through in 2020 uh all right time for a break on the other side we're going to talk uh mailbag we're going to answer mailbag questions we got several of them and like I said to start the show we're going to get to all of them so uh we'll see you on the other side this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, guys, mailbag questions. And uh, um, I thought about this a minute ago, and I think we just need to go through these kind of straightforward and uh, go down the list so that we don't miss any of them. And uh, I'm not 100% sure. That some of these uh, screen names are kind of all together. Um, I think this was Italian Stallion UGA. It says, a question I'd like to have answered is, are the guys on our interior, how are the guys on the interior of the offensive line playing? Uh, I have heard, heard about our tackles, but I'd be interested to hear uh, about Hill and, and the guys competing at the guard spots. Um, I'll start with this one and, and, you know, let you guys chime in if you want. Um, Trey Hill has had a fantastic spring. He got some work at right, right guard in the past scrimmage. I think Ben Cleveland's a little dinged up, and they kind of lightened the load on him a little bit, let Warren Erickson get some reps with the number one offense. Trey Hill is going to be the center. Trey Hill has, from everything I've heard, has kind of corrected the snapping issues that he had last year that has not been an issue this preseason thus far. And uh, I think he's primed for a big year. Right now, it looks like Justin Schaefer at left guard and Ben Cleveland, as far as long as he's healthy, at right guard. And uh, heard nothing to suggest those guys have struggled either. Uh, you know, Rusty, you brought up a couple weeks ago, uh, there was a, a practice or two there where Georgia's offensive line kind of pushed them around a little bit. And, and uh, you know, Justin Schaefer and Ben Cleveland are a big part of that. Two, two senior guys. Uh, ben Cleveland's a fifth-year guy. Justin Schaefer is a, uh, a fourth-year guy. Both of them in their final season, provided they don't decide to kind of take this freebie year and to come back for another. Uh, and then behind those guys, you got, you got uh, Clay Webb, who, who's a big factor. You've got Warren Erickson, who's a, who's a major factor as well. Uh, Devin Willock is, is a guy you might want to keep an eye on as the season goes on because both Rusty and I have reported pleasant surprise for them because he, he's, he came in ready to play and has in, had done some good things. And, uh, and you also got Natori Johnson, who was another highly rated guard come out of high school, went from offense to defense, back to offense. And uh, he's getting a lot of reps with the number twos right now at right guard. So uh, yeah, that's kind of how the interior of the offensive line shapes up. Rusty or Kip, you got anything to add on that? I'll be quick. I think they got experience there. They got size there. They got guys that's played a lot of snaps. And, you know, the interior line, when it's kind of no news, is good news. Yeah, I, I, I think that's spot on. Kip, anything to add? I think, red, I think redshirt sophomore Warren Erickson is a, a guy that you, Georgia knows they can kind of count on if they need to. I think he, he did a good job stepping in, in in that Sugar Bowl at right guard and, and playing every snap there. I, I think if you're looking for a guy who's that first man off the bench, I think he's probably going to be that guy at all three in, interior line positions. I think he's done a great job just as far as improving in his technique and getting stronger. And I think that, you know, Matt Luke and them, they, they know they can depend on him to, to step in and, and be that backup guy at all three spots. I think that's just something really valuable for, for Georgia to have going into this season. Yeah, good point to hit on there with him being the next man up. At, at three different spots, he's kind of the interior Cade Mays uh, from last year, and I know that name's probably not uh, thought of highly in Georgia circles these days. He's in enemy territory now, but uh, that's that's kind of where that's at. Let's move to the second question, and this one is pretty straightforward, guys. This is a nice guy, bunch of nines and one eight. Uh, uh, fill in the blank. Georgia is in the college football playoffs if – Rusty – Again, I'm going to be real short. Um, you got to win in the Mercedes-Benz in December. I don't care if it's Alabama, LSU, Auburn. That building, you know, they, they won against Auburn there, but that building has seen some some major hopes of University of Georgia the last four years go, go to the side. You can take the national championship game. You can take the 2018 SEC championship game. Uh, LSU last year, obviously – you know, wasn't wasn't very close um, for a half. The defense held on, but Georgia has got to find a way to win there, and, and that kind of might be a cheap way of getting out. But it, it's the point. I mean, they've got to find a way to change things in that building because I do think they're going to get there again. Uh, most likely, I would think everybody says their opponent 
would be Alabama, which would be a rematch. You got to find a way to win a game in that building because if you win that game, anything goes in the last two. I mean, Georgia, Georgia gets over a major hump, but they got to find a way to turn the tide literally in that building. And, and what 2017 was a perfect illustration of anything being able to happen after that because Georgia had gotten their pants beat off by Auburn. They get to that game. They win that game. Next thing you know, they're in the national championship game after one of the greatest games in college football history, the greatest I've ever covered. And then they play another instant classic and uh, get their hearts broken in, in the national championship game. But that's, that's absolutely true. Uh, Kip, you're up. For Georgia – this offense, for as much as everyone's talking about, you know, wanting to open it up, they want to know what Georgia's passing game's going to look like. They want to know who's going to be the starting quarterback. For me, it, it kind of comes down to, just to simplify it, is Zamir White who we thought he could be? You know, is he the guy that we saw coming out of high school who was one of the – had arguably – the best running back film we've we've had in the last, I mean, five, six, I mean, one of the best running back films you're going to see really in the last decade. And obviously, multiple knee injuries since then. Georgia really needs him to be the guy or, you know, somewhere close to, to that guy for this offense this year. You know, with DeAndre Swift gone, you really want the this run game to – be able to do a lot of heavy lifting and especially early in the season you're going to have a new quarterback you're going to have you know an offensive line putting in some new guys you're going to need an explosive run game and and so not just Zemir White James Cook's going to have to come in and and really be the playmaker that we all think and know that he can be as well for all you know for everyone kind of just that rolls their eyes when you think about Georgia's run game. And they, they didn't lead the SEC in, in rush attempts last year. They weren't even in the top five. There were, I think, at least five teams that ran the ball more per game than Georgia last year. So, I mean, it's, it's about being effective in that and, 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 again, being less predictable in that run game. So that's really on Todd Monken to find a way to get the ball to his playmakers Obviously, he's going to want to get the ball to George Pickens as often as he can, but it's it's just that that happy balance of being able to, uh, you know, stretch the ball downfield when you want to and having an explosive run game is really something that's going to help Georgia and keep defenses on their heels because last year, even with the, the three, you know, NFL guys along the offensive line, the, the offensive line just did not, live up to its billing in the run game last year and for some for some reason or another it just did not get it done the way that, that it should have and so I think I think that run game is really going to be a key to to Georgia's offense being explosive enough and again if, if this offense is is putting up 35 36 points a game with the defense they have I mean they're going to be tough to beat in my opinion so for me it's it's Zemir White. It's the it's the ground game. Can can they be the the next you know elite duo of running backs that Georgia had in you know 2017 2018 that allowed them to be a, a college football playoff contender? Yeah, you're you're looking really looking for a kind of a Frank Gore impression here, where you come back from multiple knee injuries and uh, and play some of your best football after it. Frank Gore didn't quite get to that level in in college, but he did it later on in the NFL, and I think may have sustained one in the NFL as well. Uh, you kind of hit on mine, Kip. Thirty-five. That's my number. Thirty-five points a game. I think Georgia can get into college football playoff. Uh, that's. That's better than last year. It's not quite as good as the year before or, or even the year before that. But I think with this defense, that's what it's going to take. And, and I think it needs to be consistent. I think if, if it can be an offense that scores, you know, uh, maybe against – maybe on some of its bad days, scores 24, 28 points, but then on its good days maybe gets up around 40 to 45, it's going to be a little tougher to put those 60 and 50-point games up when you're playing just SEC teams and kind of pad your numbers there. So that needs to be taken into account. I mean, obviously you got you got Arkansas that's going to kind of uh, be, you know, figuring things out on defense, but then you got Georgia playing in its first game, new quarterback, new system. You know, Vanderbilt there toward the end of the year, but I think if Georgia can consistently put up between 24 and 40 points a game, 
Uh, I think it'll get as far as it wants to go, especially with that defense. All right, let's move on to the next question here. And, uh, again, trying to uh, go dogs one two one two. Uh, mailbag question is, uh, with all the talk of the best defense in the Kirby Smart era, and that's in quotes, being thrown around, as I was wondering, what does the Dogs 24-7 staff see as the biggest weakness on this defense, and what type of offense would be able to exploit those weaknesses? Oh, man. Um, I, I'm not try- – I, I don't want to sound like a homer here. I don't really see a weakness. I mean, I see some things that – I don't really see it as a weakness that they've got to get better at creating turnovers or or getting tackles for a loss and getting and sacking the quarterback. But Georgia's really good against the run, really good against the pass. It's really good at limiting points and big plays. You know, I, I would say that that uh, there are no weaknesses on this defense. I don't know you how you would go about attacking uh, this defense. To be honest with you, I, I just. Uh, I think maybe if you're patient and, and you can kind of maybe rely on a little bit of a short passing game because you know Georgia's going to do its best to, to kind of limit the big play, maybe if you trust your quarterback you can do some of that. But outside of that, I really don't see really a, a calling card uh, to, to exploit this defense. Uh, Rusty, what, what say you? I think the biggest thing weakness-wise is we don't know is tackling. How much tackling have they done? I know they're physical there, but – you know, you miss spring practice. You miss different things. You know, you're cut down to shorter practices. Uh, listen, Kirby Smart's going to run a, a physical deal, and that's that's known. But, you know, how much of this is they putting people to the ground and those types of things? Because you get into a situation and you take, you know, Anthony Schwartz from Auburn, who's one of the fastest players in NFL or college football he catches a bubble screen and you miss a tackle on him. That's the type of guy that can take it to the house. So I don't think we look on paper. There's many weaknesses at all. I've been very upfront about what I think about this defense. And I think this is going to be the best defense Kirby smarts. He may have at George. It's just the right combination of everything, upperclassmen, link talent, linebackers, defensive line, et cetera. But you know, you know, where are they at skill set wise? Because we all know this is a different year. Didn't have spring ball. Didn't do much in the summer. Where are they at with that and and those types of things? So, I think the weakness, potential weakness, and it could be for any team, is where are we at with tackling and those types of things? Because alignment, calls, all that, they're going to have it. They're going to check all those boxes because they've got experienced guys. You know, even Lewis Seen is going to have Richard Account beside him, a guy that's seen everything. So, I just think, you know, you start talking about what could be potential weaknesses and, you know, you don't really talk about it a lot, but you know, they've got to tackle well early on because they're going to face some, some guys that can hurt them uh, in those first couple of games. Yeah, what you got, man? Well, I have to go back to what Rusty said earlier in the show and how many snaps can, can Jordan Davis play this year? And I think we, we all know that this defense is just different when he's out in the field. And so just to kind of tackle that second part of the question, you know, as far as offense is exploiting that, I mean, if they're running tempo out there, you know – that could that could really push him. I mean, how many snaps can he get out there and and, and play on on you know long quick tempo drives? And you know if if they're running two tight end sets, uh, you know you have that versatility out there with the tight end to kind of chip away and, and then double team the nose tackle and and so that's that's kind of a, an offensive scheme that I think can really give Georgia issues. Uh, uh, you know, if any team has multiple tight ends, whether one's flexed out or not, and, and kind of just lining up and, and, and hitting him with the double teams, but then also just running tempo at different formations out there. Georgia will have to find out if, if Julian Rochester can, can be that kind of guy for them or if they have to go to redshirt freshman time in Mitchell. I mean, he's definitely got the size, but just like Jordan Davis, you know, how, how many snaps – can he stay on the field? Can he sustain his level of play and longer drives? So that's that's kind of that key question is, you know, this is a big year for Jordan Davis. Has he prepared himself just physically conditioning-wise to be able to, to stay on the field for long drives and to, to maintain that for potentially multiple drives if there's a turnover? All right, let's move to the next one, and I believe it's going to come from uh, – 
if an apex, I guess is his name. He wants to ask about Kenny McIntosh buzz, and I'm going to go ahead and just snatch this one, and we'll move on to the next one. McIntosh been a little dinged up last over the past week. He was back in a red jersey yesterday. I was told that even when he was dinged up in Saturday scrimmage, catching some kickoffs and stuff, that he looked really quick, really explosive. Uh, but haven't heard a ton of buzz about him kind of lighting up the defense in practice. Maybe that's because he's getting a lot of reps with the twos because Zamir White and James Cook are, are kind of getting all those reps with the ones. But uh, I do expect Kenny McIntosh to have a big, big uh, role on this defense. I'm sorry, big role on this offense. And, and, you know, I think that one thing you may see out of him this year that you didn't get to see a whole lot of last year is his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. Uh, Dogs on Top asks, uh, depth at offensive tackle seems to be a relative weak point going into the season. Uh, you know, talks about Sawyer being the, the the starting left tackle. You got Connor at right tackle, but how the tackles look to practice in camp. Um, you know, I, I jumping in here, I, I think that you know, with with Condon kind of running away with it at right tackle, that may you know lend some concern. You know, some reasons for concern. Sorry, I'm getting twisted up on my words. May provide some reasons for concern in terms of your right tackle position. But we've heard good things about uh, about Tate Rattledge. We've heard some good things about Warren McClendon. Uh, you know, there, there's plenty of talent behind those guys, in my opinion. You're just looking for reps. And, listen, when you're breaking in new right tackles and new left tackles, it's hard to break in also a backup right tackle and a backup left tackle. So I think that's definitely an area where where uh, concern is is legitimate because you can't, you can't get uh, – first team reps for all of those guys and and you can't snap your finger and get them all game experience because Jamari Sawyer has zero starts at left left tackle, zero snaps at left tackle in a real game. Owen Condon has zero snaps at right tackle and maybe only a handful in mop-up duty. And uh, so the guys behind them don't have much either. So uh, th- that's kind of be the way that'd be the way I would uh, look at that. Rusty, anything you want to add there? Nope, I think that's spot on, Jake. Um Listen, it's so crazy. We, we're sitting here. I've just listened to you talk about Owen Condon, and it's just people are going to find it hard to believe this guy. Not hard to believe, but he really gets come out of nowhere to be the guy. And I was just sitting here listening to you, and, and you start thinking about Owen Condon the starting right tackle at Georgia, and, and I think he's earned it. So, you know, touch on that. You cover the team, so you got the better pulse on some of those things. But really just, just setting in on me that Owen Condon has won this job. He's going to be starting right tackle for Georgia. Absolutely. Let's move on to the next one real quick. JB says, could y'all discuss what each of you think the impact of the eligibility ruling this year means? Does it mean that virtually zero red shirts, a few older contributors return for that fifth year maybe? Any candidates? Oh, man, this is, uh, this is a big one, but let's try to be quick with it because we, we're running a little bit long here. Um, I do think there will be less red shirts. I think that they may be a little bit more open, especially later in the year to running some of these guys out on special teams whenever they're ready. Maybe there's a guy that that for the first four or five games of the year wasn't quite ready to play on special teams for him after the, has a great bye week and then comes out and then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, man, kickoff team, punt return team, you're out there. You're playing. And, uh, you know, I think that that's something that you may look at. As far as older guys that could, could return, I mean, all of them. I mean, all of them that aren't big-time draft prospects. Justin Schaefer is the guy that, I, that comes to mind. Maybe Mark Webb. Uh, maybe even Ben Cleveland, even though I think Ben Cleveland's going to have enough draft stock to kind of make that move. Uh, you could think of maybe a guy like Trey McKitty, even though the fact that he's a graduate, uh, you know, if he's a guy that, that this knee injury that he's dealing with maybe lingers a little bit through the season, he doesn't get in what he wants to get in, maybe he takes a second crack at playing uh, under Todd Munkin for a second year. There are a bunch of different guys that I think that, that uh, w- with, with kind of a freebie year here could decide to come back. Uh, Kip, anything you want to throw in there? Uh, I'd be interested to see if, if Julian Rochester gives it another go. You know, he's a guy that if oh, if, Lord. If, if if he's given another year of eligibility, because I mean that Uncle with the, Julian with with the ruling, I mean he the guys who are exhausting their eligibility have the opportunity to basically get a, a freebie. I mean, uh, why wouldn't Julian want to come back if Jordan Davis is potentially you know heading to the NFL after this season? I mean, he could have an opportunity to come in and and have a bigger impact, and you know and. And again, yeah, be the elder statesman on the team. But I mean, he—it seems like he's been here since uh, since Kirby, you know, before Kirby got here. So why not? Uh, 
when I go in, go into another year with Kirby Smart and, and have another chance to uh, compete for a national championship and and give Georgia one of its most experienced players ever at, at nose tackle. And as we said, that's a key part of that defense. So, I mean, that's the guy that I would definitely keep an eye on, see if uh, he comes back in 2021. Julian Rochester is going to come back as player coach. Trey Scott's going to get a D.C. job somewhere. And uh, Julian Rochester is going to come back as player coach of the defensive line, play, play one more year of college ball, and then collect a pension. Uh, and, and Social Security and everything. I mean, I, I guess he probably won't be older than John Atkins was when he left Georgia. I think John Atkins was uh, also played with Charlie Trippy and on that 27 national t- 2017 SEC championship team. Rusty, you got any candidates or, or any any thoughts on how it'll affect uh, roster management? I have thought about this a little bit. You know, you know, the one guy that I think people may not think he would, but I think another if he has a really good year. And it's according how the depth is because he's probably fifth, sixth, seventh rounder, I would think, at this point. Uh, but Malik Heron could be a guy that Georgia make it say, look, you know, Malik, you got a six-round grade. Come back and have a good year. You know, you might get in that fourth round. And, and so Malik Heron's a guy that I think needs to add a little bit more size to project on the next level. But uh, that'd be one I would be interested. Don't have any insight on that, so don't don't quote me as he's staying. But I think as the year goes on, you know, that's a guy that they consider a leader. Uh, maybe he gets a, you know, maybe I don't know where he is academically. Maybe if he stays, he'll finish a master's, something like that. So, you know, this is going to be a new rule, interesting. And, and someone like that, I think, could potentially be a really good candidate uh, to come back to Georgia. That'd be massive too, because Georgia uh, doesn't really have a ton of bodies at that, that def- true defensive end position, uh, as we know it right now. There may be some guys working there in preseason camp we don't know about, but that would be huge because Malik Herring is a fantastic college football player. Uh, let's uh, let, let's look at. I think we got one more here, and it's from uh, Ronnie Ronnie Jitchards, which uh, I guess Johnny Richards. A uh, little flip the R and the J there. My question for the mailbag. If JT Daniel wins a starting quarterback job and plays fine but not good enough to, to jump for the draft, does anybody transfer? Conversely, man, what a hypothetical. Uh, this is a loaded question right here. Conversely, if Mathis wins, does it negatively affect uh, quarterback recruiting now that there's a starter coming back and possibly starting for multiple years? Guys, I'm going to have to kind of lean on you with this one because I really don't want to touch the JT come on, Daniels. Come on, Jake. I won't step out and listen to what your opinion well, here. Well, I mean, the thing is, I don't really under – I don't know Brock Vandegrift. You know, I don't really know Georgia quarterback recruiting. And if JT Daniels wins the starting job, I mean, I, heck, I don't know, man. I mean, it's that that's a huge hypothetical because, uh, you know, either way you've got – I mean, yeah, I, I would assume that if JT Daniels comes in and wins the job at some point that you're probably – and wins it outright and it looks like he takes control of it, then, yeah, you're probably going to have a guy transfer. Uh, same play, same thing if DeWan Mathis wins it. It's You know, you always have to look at a transfer whenever you've got a guy that's got remaining eligibility and, and somebody wins it outright. Uh, but, but you're going to throw it to you guys as far as the recruiting goes because I don't know – I mean – if Mathis wins the job and he's as good as Georgia fans hope he's going to be, then he's probably not going to be here past this season, I wouldn't imagine. But, uh, Rusty, going to throw it to you. What do you think it does for Georgia recruiting if, if DeJuan Mathis wins the job? So we're sitting here September of 2020. If you go back to September of 19, Georgia has DeJuan Mathis coming off brain surgery. They have Jake Fromm. When they have Stetson Bennett. That, am I correct? And that, and that they're, they're guys, Jake? That, that's correct, yeah. You fast forward a year. A year, there's Carson Beck, there's JT Daniel, there's Stetson Bennett, there's DeJuan Mathis, and oh, by the way, Jamie Newman just left. So that's five guys you're talking about in a year. So if you don't think the quarterback rooms in college football are fluid and change, that is – nobody has an answer. I can't tell you what – I know that I would be very, very surprised, very surprised if Brock Vandergriff doesn't end up at Georgia, no matter what happens. Okay, you never say never, uh, but, you know, Brock Vandergriff certainly he's made his way at Prince. we the first kid ever to, to be a mid-year and transfer. So that's how I answer that. I'd be very shocked if Brock Vandergriff did end up. Now, nobody knows how transfers, any of that other stuff plays out. So for us to answer that and to make you, I guess, quote, unquote, feel better or to answer, we don't know. 
uh, and, and, and college football coaches don't know. Think about all that went on, all that went on in the last two years at university, just for University of Georgia, who's come, who's gone, who's left, who's left again, those type of things. Oh, by the way, the walk-on uh, two, two years ago is the starting quarterback at TCU now. Um, Jake helped me, kept helping his name, the walk-on. Matthew Dowling. Matthew Dowling is the starter at TCU. He's a starter. So, you know, that room is very fluid. And if you don't think that, that is forever going to happen in college football. That's forever going to happen in college football. I mean, those rooms are going to be with transfers and all this and that. Uh, just kind of hard to forecast what's going to happen. And you just let the season play out, figure it out. But, uh, you know, with Jake Fromm, I think we all probably thought Jake Fromm would return. He didn't. Jamie Newman came. JT Daniels came. Jamie Newman left. Juan Mathis is probably going to be the guy. So, there's a lot to that to that question, and I think it's going to be year to year, uh, and that, that goes for everybody. That's going to be year to year with these quarterback rooms. Yep. Any thoughts on on how it may impact recruiting? I mean, I I think you 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 have to you can flip it. I mean, you could just easily say that you know for Vandergriff, who's to say these quarterbacks are going to be on Georgia's roster next year? Like Rusty said, I don't think Brock Vandergriff is obviously worried about that right now he's trying to have the best senior season possible but I I think his mentality is that he's going to come in and compete and see what happens because you just never know I mean it's just that's too far out to know what the roster is going to look like who's going to be healthy I mean how Dwight Mathis is going to play or JT Daniels is going to play I think that's something that you have to evaluate you know not month by month but you just have to, to look at it before the season, after the season, and kind of evaluated them. But I think his game plan is to come to Georgia and compete and to see where, you know, see where the – let the chips fall where they're going to fall. And that's – I mean, Kirby Smart's going to do his best to upgrade that quarterback room as best he can each spring as well. We've seen – we saw he attacked it this offseason, you know, the moment that he knew that Jake Fromm wasn't going to be there anymore – uh, you know, he he brought in two transfers this offseason. So I think, again, if the quarterback room doesn't look the way that he wants it to look, then he's going to do what he can to to have himself best prepared to have uh, as many talented quarterbacks in there as possible. So I think, again, I, th- I just think that that's something that's we record in September that's way too far out to speculate on and at the same time, uh, you, you just can't predict what Georgia's quarterback's gonna room's gonna look like this time next year, or even you know six months from now. So I, guess, I don't. It goes for any any class. I mean, I I think people are gonna freak maybe when they hear that. That goes for any college football. I think you agree there, Kip. These, these rooms are gonna continue to change. There's just multiple layers of uh, recruiting quarterbacks now. I mean, you have the high school at one point. I mean. There was a time when grabbing a, ju- a JUCO quarterback, you know, was the move. I mean, you could get a guy you know, like a Cam Newton. You could bring in a guy like Nick Marshall. You can bring in junior college quarterbacks to kind of bridge that gap. But, there, I mean, there's a bridge every year now because you are going to have quarterbacks transferring out if if not every other year, every year. I mean, so Georgia's quarterback room is just not going to look the same next year. I mean, I, I think that – if we're going to make a projection, I think that's fairly safe that not everyone in this quarterback room will be there next year, especially if you're adding in another guy in Brock Vandergriff. I just think you're, you're going to have some movement there, and I think that's just the way the landscape is now. And until, you know, until they change rules, until anything changes in that regard, Kirby Smart's going to roll with it, and he's going to prepare on it, and he's, he's going to be very active and bringing in another quarterback if he has to. That's just going to be the way it is moving forward. And it's an attractive job. It is an attractive job It's because of all the talent that's going to be around. You look at all this talent that they're breaking in this year on offense. A lot of that's going to be coming back for next year, and it's definitely going to be an attractive job. Uh, Big Ten, coming back, need to be real short with this because as my man Tony Schiavone used to say, we are desperately out of time. But uh, Big Ten, man, uh, reversing course, still believe there's a chance to get some big-time egg on their face in this situation because let me tell you something, if they have a COVID outbreak of some sort, miss a game or two, and some team, the Big Ten champion ends up being 7-1 and one 
or or six and one or something like that, and the college football play and le- playoff leaves them out. That uh, that that Big Ten leadership and those Big Ten presidents are going to catch a lot of flack. Uh, what are your thoughts, Kip, on uh, on the Big Ten deciding to return to action? I mean, they're back, but talk about a very very tight window. Uh, no no bye week. The twenty one day suspension for testing positive, and then a five percent positivity it equals a week cancellation. I mean, that's just six players on. On a, on a roster, basically. Uh, I mean, they're back, but hold on tight, guys. I, I think that having a having having a team play all its games is, is the best you can hope for for them. And and I just it might be tough just to just to pull that off for any of the teams in the Big Ten. Rusty thoughts. Glad you're back. I think we all know that we cover kids for three or four years and. You know, you've all of us worked in recruiting side of this, and you know, take a kid like Justin Fields, and I talked with his dad the other day, and you know, just said, "Hey, is there, there's, you know, maybe some peace that he won't get hurt." I mean, he's like, "Man, he wants to play." I mean, it, he is dead set on playing. And uh, Harry Miller from Buford that plays Ohio State, and all these kids that we cover to go to these other schools, I'm just happy they're getting to play. They're they are razor thin margin of error right here. I mean, razor thin. And, uh, you know, whatever happened there. But for the kids that we've covered in the state of Georgia that we've all met over the years that are playing in the Big Ten, I'm happy for those guys. Yeah, me too. I'm happy. I hope they nail it. I hope they play all nine games that, that they've got a chance to play. Uh, you know, I, I hope if, if the Big Ten has one of the best four teams in college football or two of the best four teams in college football, I hope they end up in the college football playoff. I, I love the sport more than anything else. And uh, it, when it comes to this this whole football thing, and I'm really happy for the players, really happy for the parents that wanted it to happen, really happy for the people that are in our profession that that are getting a chance to cover the season, and they're not worrying about their jobs, and and they actually have an opportunity to get out there and do what they do for a living, their livelihood, because uh, so many people have been disrupted because of this pandemic, and and uh, you know just glad to see you know some good things kind of come out. And it's a good thing, in my opinion. There's some people who don't think so, and and I vehemently de- disagree with those people. Uh, but but that's just the way it is. And and I think if they can do it safely, which is what we're all rooting for, that's that's what we want to see. Uh, but for this episode of the Junkyard Dogcast, one of our longest ever, probably our longest ever, and uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24/7. They're Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell from the same place, Dogs 24/7. Uh, we'll see you guys later on. Take it easy. 